Hello and welcome to this message from the room. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the I'm going to let my wife go ahead and come. She's going to bring the word this morning. And I just want to say how much I appreciate her. She, she does so many things that nobody in the church even has a clue about. And the number one thing that she does is she keeps me sane and, and sanctified, which is good, and, and holy and all those kinds of things. She keeps me in check, and so I appreciate her. But she is a phenomenal mother to our kids, and uh, I couldn't appreciate her more for that. But here she is. Y'all give her a hand. Thank you. Y'all, y'all pray for me that with all those tasks that he just gave y'all that list. That, that's, a, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, well, this morning, this is the fourth Mother's Day that I've had this opportunity to uh, come and speak with y'all, and this year is different than any other year, and it was kind of confirmed to me a few weeks ago. How many were here when we had our CSM student takeover? It was an amazing, amazing service. Give our students a hand. They facilitated every aspect of our service, from the worship to the media to the sound. They were ushers. They were greeters. It was, that is an amazing opportunity to assimilate students into the body, to let them use their gifts and their talents and their abilities and just try those things out because we want this generation connected to the body of Christ. And it was an amazing, amazing opportunity, and we have great leadership. Where are Morgan and Caleb? Here they are. They're with their family. Don't y'all love Morgan? Yeah. But Caleb. Y'all, well, we ha- I had to pray through because, you know, when Caleb got up here on that Sunday, he, he had an absurd point in his message, and he actually preached against coffee. And today, my title is But First, and so I wore this shirt to right the wrongs that Caleb spoke on that day, because he got on my list, and he doesn't know yet because he hasn't been here long enough, but he doesn't want to be on my list. No, I'm just kidding. He did a great job, and I've forgiven him. And so... um, we're, we're good, we're good, but if you weren't here that day, I encourage you to go listen to that message because it was great. I think it's, it was around, the, it was the 17th and it was on our podcast, but he just talked about establishing healthy boundaries and how we can allow things that aren't necessarily a bad thing to become an addiction in our life, and it was, it was great, and I support him, but not where it comes to the coffee, so um, yeah. But like I said, if you want to turn, I'll be in First Kings 17. But this is my fourth Mother's Day message. And um, every year I hope that I leave you with the same central theme. That I want to, not just moms, but dads and everybody in the room. That regardless of the age of our kids, if they're babies living with us at home. Or if they are been out of the house for 30 years and their grandparents now themselves, that we live a life before them of love, of grace, of mercy, that we demonstrate a life of faith and we give them a foundation to build on. You know, as parents, I've only been a parent almost, almost 18 years, 
and there are regrets in those 18 years, and I'm sure every one of us in here has those, and we could list them, but we will never regret giving our kids a spiritual foundation and living that before them. And I hope that every year when you walk away from Mother's Day, that that, that is the central theme that you pick up. And so, beginning in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbite and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. And you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the, what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And please, bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of of flour was not used up, and the jar of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that your word is active and it's alive in our lives today. And God, we thank you and we look to you as our source. God, I pray that you encourage us through your word today, that you you make us better, that you transform our lives. And even though our focus today on Mother's Day is our moms, Lord, I pray that through your word that you will Speak to the hearts and the lives of everyone that's here, everyone that's present, God. Let us respond to your voice. Let us respond to your prompting. God, help us not to dismiss you in any way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we have Elijah coming onto the scene. The first time in recorded history that we we hear his name, that he has spoken, and I actually spoke out of this passage a few years ago um, and going in a totally different direction. But we know from the previous chapter that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord than any king previously. He was an evil, awful king, and his wife Jezebel was one and the same. The first time we actually hear of her is when she's massacring the prophets of the Lord. And so here Elijah has emerged. He is a mouthpiece for God, and he stands before them um, and tells them that there won't be rain unless he says there's going to be rain. He speaks for God, and then God sends him to the brook to supply for him. And verse tells us, tell, verse 7 tells us that the brook dries up. I mean, we had to see that coming. 
he says there's not going to be rain. And in order for there to be rain or water from the brook, there's going to have to be rain. And so he knows when he goes there that it's probably very much a temporary time that he's going to be there. But God directs him him there and he directs the ravens to feed him. And he's going to drink from the brook as long as there's water in the brook. And then he tells him, go to Zarephath. I've directed a widow there to take care of you. So Elijah goes. I mean, why wouldn't he? God had taken care of him in the brook. Why would he not go to the widow? Why would he have any reason to doubt? But, you know, a widow in that day was much different than a widow in our day. She had absolutely no means by which to take care of herself, no means to provide for herself or her family. Even in the New Testament account, when, the, when we read of the fish and the loaves and the miracle there, and they're sitting on the hillside, it says there were 5,000 men, including women and children. The women weren't even included in that number. Women were more or less considered property. And then for a widow, she's even the least of the least. But God sends Elijah to the widow. And I think it speaks volumes of his faith to just immediately respond and immediately go to where God sends him without an argument. I mean, you know, God, you're sending me to someone who cannot meet my needs. She's a widow. But he immediately, he immediately responds. And I think for myself, I probably would begin my pity party there. You know, God, do you know what you're doing? God, do you know where you're sending me? Do you know to whom you're sending me? Do you know to where you're sending me? We, Zarephath is a territory that belonged to the family of Jezebel. So he's sending him smack dab in the middle of enemy territory to a woman who has absolutely no means by which to provide for him. And God sends him there and he says, I've directed her to take care of you. God, do you have any idea what you're doing? How many, I mean, I, I probably pray that same prayer a thousand times. I mean, we don't hear Elijah say that, but that's definitely, if, if this story were about me, I think I would stop there and I would begin to question God. But in verse 10, he tells us that he comes to the gate and he sees her. I mean, how does he know that's his widow? How does he know, you know, have y'all ever been on that road trip and you're starving? And you're like, how much closer are we to the next town? We're starving. Are your gas lights on? We ran out of gas one time on I-40. There is nothing on I-40. But we got to talking, and Billy says, next exit we come to, remind me, we got to stop and get gas. And we didn't, you know, we ran out of gas on the side of the highway. But you're on that road trip, and you're driving down the road, and you come over a hill, and you see that sign, and it says, exit fuel and food, and there is excitement. You see the golden arches, and you're like, yes. That is where we're stopping. Any other time, we would not have chose McDonald's, but we are starving, and that is where we're stopping. And so Elijah comes to the city gate, and there's his gal, and he is excited. There's my supply. There's my widow. She's gathering sticks. There's my provision. There she is, just like God said she was going to be. There she is, the answer to my prayers, my promise, my supply, my golden arches. There she is. And I can guarantee that the excitement that rose up in Elijah when he saw the widow did not come because she exuded that. It didn't come because she saw herself as his supplier, she saw herself as his provision, or she saw herself as his miracle or the answer to his prayers. She would never have labeled herself that. She would have never called herself that. And the same for us today. Too many times, We don't see in ourselves what God sees in us. She didn't see in herself what Elijah saw in her. She had no idea what there was inside of her. See, God is our source. 
But today he's called many of us to be somebody's miracle. He has called you to be their supply. He has called you to be their provision. He's called you to be their answer. He's called you to be their miracle. And as we live that out like this little mama lived that out, and we build that spiritual foundation of encouragement before our kids, we give them something. We supply for them. Decide today you're going to be somebody's miracle. Decide today. It can be in a very simple thing. I have a friend. I work with her. And she told a really cool story a few weeks ago. And she wasn't, necess- she wasn't telling the story to toot her own horn. She was just telling the story because she thought it was a really neat coincidence. But like on Monday, she come in and she brought her Pop-Tart for breakfast and had gone to the cafeteria to get her a chocolate milk. And then the day got crazy busy. You have those days and she forgot to eat. I mean, I rarely forget to eat, but it has happened on occasion. And then the next day, same thing, and she forgot to eat, and that's why she's like this big. And um, then the next day, we were having a fire drill, and a couple of kids come in that were late, and these kids are, are late a lot. And we always will help them get to the cafeteria and go ahead and get breakfast, even though it's past the time for breakfast, because we know when they get there, they haven't eaten. But that particular day, the cafeteria could not serve them because there was going to be an early morning breakfast. And as they made their way past our assistant principal's office, and when they were hungry, she said, come in here. And she had two Pop-Tarts and two milks that she forgot to eat. And she was able to give that to those babies, and they went on to their classroom and went went to the fire drill, and they had their breakfast. And what seemed to be a coincidence was God. It was a miracle that she got to be a miracle for somebody. And you are presented opportunities every day to be somebody's miracle. Decide today, every morning when your feet hit the ground today, God, how am I going to be somebody's miracle? How am I going to encourage somebody? How am I going to speak into their life? How am I going to use my social media not to divide, but to build somebody up and speak into their life? Have y'all ever been put on the spot? Y'all, one of my tasks is I answer the phone at my job. And I, I've had some really fun phone calls and talked to some really neat people and, and some really not-so-neat people. And sometimes I come home and I tell Billy, you know, and they said, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he said, what did you say? What do you say to that? I mean, you know, some of the th- – I talked to a man from Rhode Island that – I'll just have to tell you all that some other time, but that was a whole fun story. And – um he had a very thick Jersey accent, and he was a whole lot of fun. But um, sometimes I just don't know how to respond. And then one time I was put on the spot and didn't even realize I was necessarily being put on the spot. Uh, when Billy and I first were married, we lived in these little apartments out on the edge of town, and a lady moved in underneath us, and I knew of her. Uh, she owned a salon in town, and I had been there a couple of times, and I wouldn't say we were necessarily friends. We knew each other by name, and One day, we had come in from work, and there was a knock at the door, and I went to the door, and she says, do you know anybody who babysits? So, yeah, I've got this friend, and she's actually in college right now, and she's an elementary education major, and she's our children's pastor at church. She's real sweet. She's young. Her name is, and I gave her her name, and her number, I'm sure I gave her her number, and she kind of starts fidgeting around. She, okay. And she quickly scurries off, and I shut the door. As I turn around, Billy comes out of the kitchen, and he says, she was asking you to babysit. No, she wasn't. She asked me if I knew anybody that babysat. I mean, I don't pick up on subtleties. I don't speak subtleties. If you need to ask me something, I'm going to need you to ask me something, because that was not at all what she said. 
And so there I was, put on the spot, had no idea. I mean, our little widow here is flat out put on the spot. Look at verse 10. It says, so he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring, please bring me a piece of bread. What does she say to that? Elijah is not speaking in subtleties. He doesn't say, do you know where I could get some bread? He is open. He is to the point. He makes his request known. I mean, why not? God sent him there, right? God has sent him to her. God has said that he has directed this widow to meet his needs. So why would he not ask? Why, why would we step up to the counter at McDonald's and not order our burger? Why would he not ask? So Elijah just puts her on the spot. And her response, verse 12, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, God, let's have a chat. I mean, this is a whole Ricky and Lucy thing, and God's got a lot of explaining to do. He has sent me here to the widow, the least of the least, in the middle of enemy territory, and this woman ain't got no food? Seriously. And not only that, she ain't his girl. She says, the Lord, your God. So she's admitting he is not my God. So she has no food, and she knows nothing about God or God's ways or trust him or any, point, any way, fashion, or form. She has been put on the spot. This man shows up out of the blue. He is expecting a dinner party. She is not prepared to throw a dinner party. I mean, really, mamas, those of you with kids grown out of the house, do they show up occasionally around 5 o'clock, and they're kind of knocking on the door, and they have an expectation And you were like, tonight it was cereal. But let me see what I got. Really. Essentially, she is planning a murder-suicide. And he wants a dinner party. And he shows up seemingly oblivious. But let's back up, up to verse 10 again. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering six, and he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have drink? And as she was going to get it, and bring me, a, please, a piece of bread. As surely as your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal, so that me and my son may eat it and die. He first asks for a drink, verse 10. He says, will you bring me a drink? And she immediately turns to go and get it. A drink? I can get you a drink. See, that's my possible. I can go get your drink. You want a drink? I'll get you a drink. God says, why don't you one day a week, instead of, having, instead of taking your entire lunch hour, why don't you read your Bible and, and, and um, pray and just study? Okay, God. I can do that. That's my possible. And I want you to do it in the break room, and I want you to invite others. You're like, oh, you want me to lead a Bible study? Not sure about that, God, but I'll go sit in my car with my Bible and read it. God says, see that neighbor next door? They've fallen on hard times, and I want you to make them a meal. 
okay. I'll buy Stouffer's lasagna and some corn on the cob and French bread and a bag salad, and I'll do that. And he says, and why don't you invite them to your house? You mean i got to scrub my toilets? And have you seen their kid? He's going to be bouncing off the walls. The drink was possible. We'll do the possible. I'll do the possible, God. And then he has to go and say, and bring me some bread. And she stops. But listen to Elijah's response. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make me a small loaf of bread from what you have. Bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land. But first, see, it's a pivot. She's going to do the possible. And then he says, but first, and she has to decide, will I trust God to do the impossible? I can do the possible. I, in April, I can handle the possible. You can handle the possible. You can do the possible. I can make the meal. I can sit in my car and read my Bible. I can pull out my smartphone. Everybody thinks I'm on Facebook. I'm on my Bible. They have no idea. I can do the possible. But will I respond to the the impossible? He says, but first, believe me for the bigger thing. Believe me for the faith thing, the impossible thing. See, whatever comes after your butt first, that's where God wants to activate your faith. Mamas, hear me. It's in those places. It's after our butt first where we get to practice what we preach in front of our kids. And we get to live out our values and we get to show the world love and grace and mercy. I don't think I've ever, have I ever told y'all how I was called to ministry? When I was a little bitty girl, we would visit my dad in the summers. He lived on a a dairy farm, and down the old dirt road was what I call the very first cowboy church. It was a very little wooden chapel. There were no classrooms. It was simply a sanctuary. It probably held about 40 people, and dad would take us to church there on Sundays. I don't think we had... Um, a Wednesday night service. Our pastor was very much bivocational. There, and um, Dad always wanted my sister and I to sing because Dad's like stuff like that. And so we would load up in the old truck and we would be covered in dirt because it probably didn't have an uh, air conditioner. We would drive to our little country church and when my sister and I would oblige him in singing, don't you know that pastor loved us because my dad would go to him and say, the girl's got a song this morning. And he would let us sing. So he had to love us. And we would stand in front of that little church and we would sing, I've been redeemed. We sang the same, ta- same song every time we sang. And uh, I would lead because that's what the older sister does. She's very much in charge. And my sister would repeat after me and we would sing our little song. But it wasn't there that God called me to ministry. When I was 12 years old, I spent the biggest part of my summer with my grandma and my aunt. They lived in Moore, Oklahoma, and one day we were at church, and they were in a spirit-filled church, and I don't think I had probably ever been in one, and they were in the altar, and I was sitting on the pew with my little cousin. She was probably about five, and my aunt approached me, and she said, 
I had epilepsy as a child, and she said, April, I feel like God is saying that if you'll come up here and be prayed for, that he's going to heal you. I was, okay. So, I, I, you know, I went with her to the altar, and, and the ladies laid hands on me, and they prayed for me. And when they were finished, there was another little lady there. Her name was Mary Nye, and she and I used to write back and forth to each other. And um, she asked me, April, have you ever given your heart to the Lord? And I said, no. And so she led me through the sinner's prayer. And that summer, God, he healed me. He saved my saved my soul, and he filled me with the Spirit all in the same summer. And it was a wonderful, beautiful summer. But God didn't call me into ministry there. When I was a teenager, our youth ministry, we usually had youth on Saturday nights. And we had a little gym at our church, and we loved to play volleyball. And um, we decided we were going to turn part. We also owned a uh, campground. So we were going to build also an outdoor volleyball court. So that we could, you know, have this great resource to invite our friends. Come out here. It's like a campground. You know, come play. And we had this awesome witnessing tool. And so we spent many, many Saturdays pulling weeds and towing ground, you know, tilling up the ground. And we built trenches. And I don't know if they were cross ties or old telephone poles or something. But we laid them in the ground. And those were our boundary lines. And we're just out there gathering sticks like our widow. Just doing our everyday thing. But it wasn't there that God called me to ministry. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. See, I don't have a cool story to tell you of standing at an altar somewhere in an audible voice and God saying, you're going to give your life to ministry. And that may floor you. I mean, I'm the pastor's wife. I don't play the piano either. But I can drink coffee with the best of them. But my ministry call is most like most of you in this room is like the majority of us here to present my body a living sacrifice every one of us we have but first every day and don't you dare disqualify yourself don't you dare disqualify yourself for ministry don't you stop short of your miracle don't you stop short of being the miracle Because you don't feel worthy. Because you don't have that cool story to tell. Mamas, live your life like Elijah. When God calls you to enemy territory, when he calls you to the least of the least in the middle of the crazy city that is ran by the family of the evil queen, you go. You trust him. And when he tells you he'll supply all of your needs by the craziest source, Trust him. And in the same way you live your life like the widow, when God presents you with a butt first, do the possible and then press through and do the impossible. You have no idea what miracle is residing on the other side of your butt first. You have no idea what God's going to do. See, we don't read it here in chapter 18. But that same widow, her son dies. 
she immediately goes to Elijah. That man who put her on the spot, who showed up uninvited, expecting a meal, who inconvenienced her, but who declared the word of the Lord, and it came to pass. Morgan, would you please come? Where would she have gone when she faced the biggest tragedy of her life? When she lost her baby? See, she thought back when she was gathering sticks at that city gate, this has to be the biggest tragedy of my life. Where would she have gone if she hadn't pressed through with that butt first and done the impossible? We never know what miracles reside on the other side of our obedience. So my my altar call is simple. See, we've dismissed the idea in Romans 12 that that we're not all called because we're all called. We're all called. Amen? We're all called. We've dismissed that. So the question is not why would God use me or how would God use me or would God use me? Instead, it's will I follow through? Or will I stop at the butt first? Will I not only do the possible? Will I not only get the water? But will I do the impossible? Will I trust God with the last bit of flour and the last bit of oil? Will I do what follows after my butt first? We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you'd like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We'd love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burgrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river.